0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: So how do we know what is right and what is wrong? We know what is right because God told us what is right. We know what is wrong because God told us what is wrong. You know, you can come to a place where you no longer have a gauge to determine what's right or wrong within you. Your conscience is no longer a capable guide.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, in a message titled, The Attributes of God. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: I have in my mind this picture of my oldest son when he was small. And, you know, he used to just bolt through the house and, you know, you never knew where he was going to land. And... But I remember watching him one day as he was racing through the house and he, he was headed toward the corner of the cabinet, that pointed corner of the cabinet. And his head was right at the level of the point of that cabinet. And and I remember watching as he was running without paying any attention to what he was doing. He was running full blast toward this thing. And there I was as a father pitied his child. My heart was beating. I was just, no! I, I just knew he was gonna collide with this thing and he was gonna split his head open. In the words of Maxwell Smart, He missed it by this much. (laughs) When his little head, you know, went under that thing, I sighed a sigh of relief. I was just, I can't believe that he didn't split his head open. But I remember vividly to this day, this is probably 22 years ago, I remember the feelings that I had of great compassion and pity on my child. He was going to get hurt. God is good. He is benevolent. He is kind, patient, merciful, gracious, all of those things. And, of course, we know so much more in some ways than even David did the extent of his grace through Jesus and the revelation that has come to us through the new covenant. So God is good. And all of these things are are wrapped up in that, his mercy and his grace and his compassion and all of those things. But God is good also has another aspect, and that is he is the standard of good. God is the standard of good. What God approves is good because he is good and He alone can approve what is good. So we live in a world today where there's a ton of confusion over what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, and there are multitudes of opinions about that, aren't there? A lot of people who will say, well, you know, who are you to tell me what's right or wrong? I don't believe that there's any such thing as right or wrong, some people would say. And, of course, in one sense, if it's just my idea or my standard, then they've got a point. Why is my opinion any more valid than their opinion? But you see, this is where we have an absolute standard that arises above everybody else's opinion. And this is the standard set by God. So how do we know What is right and what is wrong? We know what is right because God told us what is right. We know what is wrong because God told us what is wrong. You know, you can come to a place, and people have come to that place and still are coming there. You can come to a place where you no longer have a gauge uh, to determine what's right or wrong within you. Your conscience is no longer a capable guide. Paul spoke of it in this way. He he spoke of those whose consciences were seared with a hot iron, meaning simply they were beyond the point of being able to recognize right and wrong internally. They had become so accustomed to doing the wrong thing and their heart had become so hardened that they no longer could even discern between right or wrong. That's why God gave us the Bible. Because he knew the potential in man was to lose that ability to discern right and wrong. So he wrote it in a book. And he's preserved that book. And he's handed it down to us all these thousands of years later. And here we are studying it tonight. And we know what is good versus what is bad. We know what is right versus what is wrong because God told us. Because God alone is good. And he sets the standard for what is good. And so we have the holiness of God. We have the goodness of God. But then thirdly, we have this attribute of the love of God. Now, the Bible doesn't simply tell us that God is loving. You know, an evil man can actually be loving toward family, toward friends, a couple of years ago, there was a film that was made in Germany. It was a film about the last, um, kind of Hitler's last stand, actually. And it sought to give an accurate portrayal of what happened during those days. And it sought to give an accurate portrayal of Hitler as a man. And it showed him being very nice. Very kind, very hospitable, very loving, if you will, to certain people. Now, some people were greatly offended by this film. How dare you paint this monstrous man, Hitler, in a good light? They did not want to believe that he could have had any qualities of of goodness or kindness or anything like that whatsoever. But the fact of the matter is that he did toward certain people. You see, even an evil man can be loving at times. The Bible doesn't say merely that God is loving. The Bible tells us that God is love. In other words, his very nature is love. It's not just something that he's able to conjure up. It's not something that he's able to just you know, demonstrate occasionally under the right circumstances, but the fact of the matter is God in, in his very being is love. So just as God is holy, just as God is good, and these are who he is, these, these are his attributes, he is also love. And when we're talking about God being love, What we're really talking about is giving of himself for the benefit of others. You know, how is love really expressed? And and is love valid if it has no expression? Now, if somebody tells you that they love you, and then they spit in your face, stab you in the back, you know, go around gossiping about you, slandering you, you know, whatever, rip you off, whatever. If they tell you that they love you and they do those things, do you think they love you? You know, you probably tend to think, I'm a little suspicious about their claim to love me. Why? Because, of course, when we make that connection, love gives. Love looks to benefit another. So love without any demonstration is a love that's actually hard to, it's hard to conceive of. It's, it's very difficult to perceive, but it's, it's very hard to conceive of as well. But we've all had that experience probably of somebody telling us that they loved us, but we question that. Do you really love me? We know that somebody loves us, not when they simply say, I love you, but when they demonstrate it. By doing what? Generally speaking, by giving of themselves for your benefit. When we say God is love, you know, it's not just this thing that is ambiguous and there's nothing tangible about it. It's just like, well, you know, we just, God is love. We No, when we say God is love, when the Bible says God is love, when God says he is love, he backs up what he says with action. He demonstrates his love. He gives, and of course, the great declaration of that all of us are familiar with, I think, for God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this. Some of you probably are. Perhaps some of you are not. So I'll bring it up to you. Only the God who is revealed in the pages of the Bible and in the person of Jesus Christ is love. You cannot find this idea even, let alone any proof of it, in any other religious system. I remember years ago, we were doing an outreach in uh, what is known today as Serbia. And we were doing some music, and we were reaching out to the kids in the clubs, and there was a, a group of kids. They were all dressed in black. They were into the whole Gothic thing and, you know, Satanism and all of that. And we sat down to talk with them and to hopefully share the gospel with them, and I remember talking to this young lady, and she listened a little bit about Jesus as I was telling her, and then she sort of interrupted me. She said, you know, I'm not interested in Jesus. I don't, I don't want to hear what you have to say. She said, I just believe in a God of love, and I challenged her. I said, where did you ever come up with the idea that God is love? And she said, well, everybody knows that. I said, well, actually, no. No. Not everybody knows that. The only way we know that, they, you see, that was a vestige of the, the Christian influence. And, and that's what we have today. Of course, we have a lot of people running around the culture today saying, God is love, God is love. Don't talk to me about Jesus. Don't tell me about the Bible. I don't want to hear about sin or righteousness. I just believe in a God of love. Where do they come up with that idea? It's a throwover from Christianity because you certainly don't find it in Islam. You don't find it in Hinduism. You don't find it in Buddhism. And although it's there to some extent in Judaism, it's not understood in a personal sense, even amongst the Jews, generally speaking. You see, the whole idea that God is love is a biblical idea. The gods of the heathen are angry and hateful. The gods of the philosophers are cold and indifferent. The God of the Bible declares himself to be love, and he demonstrated that. It's not just this lip service thing, but there's actually a demonstration of this love. For the God of the Bible, ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, he said himself, you remember the words, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And then Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. You see, we and we alone, we have the guarantee that God is love. Because God demonstrated his love. We have something that we can point to. And tonight, as we were partaking together of the bread and the cup, what were we we reminding ourselves of? Well, of course, we were reminding ourselves of the death of Jesus on our behalf. But in doing that, we were reflecting upon what? We were reflecting upon his love for us. How do I know that God loves me? How can you say with assurance to somebody else, God loves you? You see, we can do that because God demonstrated his own love toward us. He demonstrated it. We have a historical act. We have a demonstration of God in history that tells me God is love. I can look at the cross. I can look back to Calvary, and I can say God is love. Paul tells us that God demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners, just the way we are. He didn't wait till we repented. He didn't wait till we got our act together. If he would have waited for that, he never could have come and died for us because that would never happen. But he demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us. He loved us while we were yet sinners. But of course, when I'm in that state and when I'm resisting him or rebelling against him, it's not that he doesn't love me. It's just that I can't experience his love because I'm outside of the place of experiencing that blessing. But God demonstrated his love toward us. By this we know love, John said, because he laid down his life for us. How do I know? How do we know that God loves us Because he showed it. He demonstrated it. He laid down his life. And that, as Paul would say there in Romans 5, for a good man, some would perhaps die. For a righteous man, maybe you could find someone that would die for them. Maybe a rare situation. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. So when we say that God is love, we're not talking in just some ethereal, mystical sort of a way. We're talking about love in a real, tangible, evidential sense. I can lay hold of this Act in history and say, This, this, this shows me that God loves me. You know, sometimes in life, we come to a place, maybe more than once. We come to a place where, you know, nothing else really matters. You come to a place sometimes where you just sort of have to recline back in the love of God. You just say, Lord, I'm trusting in one thing only, and that's in the fact that you love me. I've got nothing else to trust in. I might have blown it here and there. I might have made a mess of everything, Lord, and I don't know how I could possibly ever recover from this, but I just take comfort and consolation in that, Lord, you love me. It's so wonderful to know that that is our God, that this omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient this eternal, incomprehensible God. He's not just a God of absolute power, but he is a God who is holy. He is a God who is good. He is a God who is love. In closing, I'd like to quote from a particular theologian. I enjoy reading. He said this. He said the fundamental attribute of God is holiness. Holiness is the regulative principle, for his throne is established on the basis of his holiness. In God's holiness lies the reason for the atonement. And that, of course, is what we celebrated here tonight the atonement. But notice what he says. In God's holiness lies the reason for the atonement, what His holiness demanded. You see, and here's something that we have to grasp, that because God is holy, because He is essential, absolute purity, because in Him is light and there is no darkness at all, God cannot commune with, he cannot fellowship with sinful creatures. He cannot do it. And so it was God's holiness that made the atonement necessary. If God was going to do that which his love was inclining him to do, have fellowship with these creatures that have rebelled against him, we ourselves, our ancestors, our first parents. If God was going to be able to go with that desire in his heart to commune with them, his holiness demanded that something be done about the sin issue. And so what holiness demanded, his love provided. Holiness demanded a payment for sin, and God in His love, He provided that payment by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. This is how we know God loves us. This is how we know that God cares for us. This is the basis for the confidence that we can come to God and we can say, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned. And knowing that he will do that very thing that we ask of him. This is the basis upon which I can move ahead in life. Knowing that he doesn't keep his anger forever. Knowing that as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. His holiness doesn't cancel out his love. His love doesn't cancel out his holiness. He calls us to be holy, but he deals with us graciously. And so when we sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sin. He is the one who satisfied what God had to have in order to bless us. He satisfied the wrath of God against sin so that God can pour out his love upon us, that he can continue to pour out his love upon us. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth. This is the God that we will continue to study about. But as we move on now more into a little bit of the text itself, I wanted to lay this as a foundation so that as we're reading about God and especially about this absolute power of God as he speaks the universe into existence, that we would keep in mind that this is not the God of the deist who set it all in motion and then is so disconnected that nobody could ever connect with him. This isn't the God of the theist. Oh yes, we believe that God is working providentially in the world. No, but this is the God who's personal. And the God who spoke it all into existence is the same God that numbered the very hairs on our head he knows us. He knows all about us. And I don't know about you, but for me, that is tremendously comforting. That fills my heart with joy to know this is our Lord. This is the one that we're worshiping. This is the one that we're serving. And oh, how worthy he is to be worshiped. Amen.
0: Radio is offering a book titled Bullies and Saints An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History by John Dixon. With all the violence, oppression, and bigotry that has been carried out in the name of Jesus throughout church history, many today are questioning if Christianity is actually good. In his book Bullies and Saints, John Dixon takes a critical look at the history of the Christian church, both the horrific and the honorable. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist, you will understand Christian history with the help of historian John Dixon through a balanced and honest examination of both the good and evil of church history. If you've ever struggled with the atrocities that have been committed by the Christian church, then you need to get this book because the worst of church history is only half the story. The book Bullies and Saints, An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History by John Dixon is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you